Thanks for pressing play. And welcome to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And uh, we are the Real Dialogue Podcast, or some people call us an oddcast, for business leaders and category designers with a different mind. Now, most of us want personally and financially rewarding careers, but many of us find ourselves feeling trapped in jobs or careers that we stopped liking a long time ago. And uh, it's been a huge topic for the last couple of years, whether you call it the great resignation or the great I don't know what, there certainly has been a massive reckoning where all of us have had to look at and ask the question, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Today, we ask that question and more. We have a radically different real dialogue with best-selling author, my buddy, Pat Hyben. His new book is out, and it's legendary, and I love the title. It's called The Quitter's Manifesto, Quit a Job You Hate for the Work You Love. And uh, we dig into how to do exactly that. And I also must tell you that Pat and I met through a uh, man that I deeply love, his co-author of this book, the legendary Tim Rode, who, amongst many things, is the founder of One Life Fully Lived. Pat, Tim, and David Osborne also are the founders of GoBundance, a mastermind community for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. And Pat sure has and does live an epic life. You see, when Pat was young, he was labeled, quote, learning disabled. Well, it turns out that Pat was so disabled, he went on to become the number one real estate agent at Remax on planet Earth in 2004. Then a little bit later in 2006, he became the number one realtor at Keller Williams. And Pat is one of only a handful of residential real estates globally to hold the title of billion dollar agent. Today, Pat's an investor, author, podcaster, and a guy having a very good time living an epic life. By the end of this dialogue, you will gain radical new insights to build your muscles for designing the life of your choosing. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you about a new podcast that I'm addicted to and I'm biased about, but for a reason. You see, my dear friend and our producer, the legendary Jason DeFilippo, has a red-hot new podcast out for people who want to be in the know about all things tech. It's called Boot Up with Jason. And I got to tell you, before Jason started Boot Up, I thought I had my finger on the pulse of everything going on in the tech world. Well, here's the truth. I learn new things on every episode of Boot Up. And sometimes I listen to the episode twice just to make sure it registers to my uh, cloud server. The other cool thing about Boot Up, it's only 10 minutes. So if you care about all things or anything tech, follow and subscribe to Boot Up with Jason for tech news that will make you smart with just a little dash of snark. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. So, uh, why did you want to write the Quitters Manifesto, <laughs> Dr. Hyben? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It was kind of a manic idea I had. I just, um, you know, it was during COVID. I just, I, I just heard of a lot of people making decisions uh, to change jobs and to change the location of where they were working from um, because it was so easy. It was kind of 
I, I guess because with COVID and everyone working from home, you could you could quit over Zoom and you could, you know, you could search for new jobs in your, in the, all this free time you had uh, while you were working at home. And so, you know, we had this great resignation going on. And, uh, and I saw it and I called Tim and I was like, Tim, you know, the one thing that I learned from you, you were my mentor in quitting. And I said, we should write a book on quitting. And uh, he said, okay. And then normally what happens is I have a bunch of ideas and I write them in my journal and then I forget about them uh, and never do anything with them. Uh, and they kind of dissipate in their their value or the how good of an idea they are in my mind. But Tim wouldn't let it go. He called me the next day and he's like, yes, let's do it. Let's write the book. And then, you know, we, we pursued it and that was that. And so what made you want to write a book about how to quit? Well, we just thought that uh, a lot of people had the inspiration to do it. And there were uh, books out there that were more strategic, like uh, you can do it and you just got to put your mind to it. And we said what, what the world really needs is a tactical book, like a step-by-step -step book. So the the first chapter in the book is called um, acknowledging the truth. And what that is, Chris, is the truth is quitting is very, very scary. It's like going to a cliff and jumping off. And as you know, entrepreneurs, they jump off a cliff, then they build a parachute on, they build a parachute or a plane or something on the way down. Most people aren't entrepreneurs. They can't build a parachute or a plane on the way down. So we wrote a book that serves as like trap a trapeze swing. So we have about 10 trapeze like rope swings that you could hang on, meaning each chapter. And then we have uh, uh, a net at the bottom to catch you if you fall. So we're basically saying, okay, the first trapeze swing is, is, you, you know, asking all the failure questions. The next trapeze swing is building out your quitting team, you know, step by step by step how to quit a job. Now, one of the things, of course, uh, particularly here in the excited States, people worry about is because a bunch of idiots, in my opinion, <laughs> years ago, decided to connect healthcare to employment, which makes no fucking sense to me. You know, it's expensive and it's, it's hard to get a healthcare on your own and it's expensive to get healthcare on your own. And it's an important benefit that a lot of people who have what you and I might call normal jobs <laughs> care about, and particularly if you have a family, uh, et cetera. And so one of the big questions people always have is, well, you know, how I, I need to be able to afford health care as sort of the first thing, and then I need to be able to ultimately replace my income. And then if I'm really successful, maybe I have a greater income when I go solo after I quit. But that stair step from can I do health care? Can I replace my income? Could I possibly even make more? That's a big set of steps for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I talked to a guy yesterday that uh, had a family health care plan that was worth $2,000 a month, and he wouldn't quit his W-2 because of it, even though he was uh, flipping real estate on the side, uh, making four hundred grand a year, you know? Uh, he wouldn't go to flipping real estate full time just because he wanted that, you know, that that health care. And then he finally did. He finally quit. But he he realized how minuscule that the, the health care actually was. 
you know? And it didn't matter. But people, you're right, people get stuck to that. People get stuck to it. They, They really do. And they don't realize that when you go on your own, you know, I mean, my wife and I have good health care. I mean, it's expensive, but I, I've been quit for a long time now. <laughs> and to your point, I mean, if you can produce a um, uh, a healthy income as a unemployed person, so to speak, you could pay for your own health care. And, and I think you're right. In some cases, that is a mental handcuff more than it is an actual financial one. Yeah, absolutely. What we're finding is there are a lot of mental handcuffs. And and so we wrote out in the book, like how to break those handcuffs. For instance, uh, one, of, one of the chapters we talk about asking failure questions. And the cliche failure question is like the Tony Robbins question, which is, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And, and, and that's a great question if you're journaling and you're writing a business plan and that sort of thing. But in reality, that's not the question you want to ask to break these mental handcuffs. The question you want to ask is, what would it look like if you did fail? And, and you think that through and you think the worst case scenario, you're really going to be starving living in your car. Are you really going to you know, not be able to afford food or you know, go to the worst of the worst of the worst um, and spell it all out. And then a third question to ask is, are you already failing? Now, I love that question. So when, if I'm working my job and maybe I've been thinking about going solo, becoming an entrepreneur, um, we had uh, my buddy, um, Diego Pineda on the marketing podcast, not long ago talking about, um, being what he calls a solo thought leader. And so uh, tell me more about, you know, this big barrier. Yeah, it's, uh. It, it it's really tough for people to knock down this this barrier you know it's kind of like we like to say you know every day you don't do something not different so every day you don't do something not different is a commitment to not changing so we we're encouraging people to stop not quitting it's really easy to not quit and that's the problem. So if once if you stop not quitting, you know, it's 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 just a different way to look at it. Um and then and you know a lot of people now talk about the side hustle. They got these side hustles. And this is a big thing now. Uh it's our belief that nah, that's not uh, you know, if you have a W2 and you're doing a side hustle, the side hustle is only doing, it's kind of like taking half of a poison pill and expecting to feel great. You're still going to feel like shit, you know? (laughs) Now, look, a lot of the advice we hear, and it's fairly obvious advice, is if you want to quit and go solo or start a company or do what you want to do, then a smart way to do it is to get a side hustle. Uh, Get to, you know, I've heard advice like, well, get to a place where your side hustle is producing 50% of your income or some thing like this, and then you can de-risk quitting. And so what do you think of that? Well, I, th- I think it's a, it's a great way to, to start, but I think it's not certainly not where you want to end. You know, I mean, it does, it does. You're right. There's de-risk. You got to de-risk it. But at the end of the day, there's no risk-free way 
that will get you what you want. There's going to be risk at the point that you do quit. Um, so you can dissipate that risk. You can lower that risk, sure, for a while. But, you know, we're encouraging you to just go ahead and quit uh, eventually, obviously. <laughs> Which I think is great. Uh, remember, John, was it Johnny Paycheck? Take this job and shove it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I ain't no, working I here no more. <laughs> <laughs> you said something earlier I do want to circle back on, which is maybe you're already failing. Mm. And so maybe pop the hood for me on what you mean, what you and Tim mean by that. Well, you know, uh, 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 Tim invented this thing called a soul sucking meter. It's a soul sucking meter. And it basically, and we put it in the book, and it's uh, a way that you could ask yourself questions about am I already failing? And so there's five different uh, categories. I'll read them to you. The first is your compensation, right? Is it paying you enough? Or do you have you know, extra money? Are you happy? Are you wealthy? The second is your respect. And this is only, you know, not only the respect of yourself, but you, you, how do you, do you feel respected at work uh, with your bosses and the people around you? Um, the third is your fit for the team and your organization. Is it a true fit? Is the company that you work for like a company you would build yourself? Is it exactly how you would do it? The fourth is your prospects for growth. Are you going to own this company someday? Are you going to, you know, uh, be the CEO? Is, is it realistic? Your prospects for growth, are they good? And the fourth is, and this is the most important one, how you feel each morning about facing your day. And if you can't get a on a scale of one to ten, if you can't rank a six or better, meaning ten is is uh, your compensation is off the chart or your respect is off the chart with a ten, and it's nothing with a zero. If you don't give yourself at least a seven, eight, nine, or ten, you know your soul sucking meter is telling you you need to quit. I love all that. There's a there's a bunch here that I'd love to touch on. This respected thing is interesting. So maybe let me bounce this off you. And this is anecdotal. Um, and it, I, I think the same thing might be true for women, but in my experience, it's the truest for men. Uh, and it's, so here's my theory. It goes like this. If by plus or minus age 40, maybe age 45, as a man, you are not respected for achieving a level of mastery in your chosen field, regardless of the field, there ends up being something fucked in your head. Because every man that I've ever known who, by plus or minus that age range, hasn't achieved some kind of a mountaintop, whether you're a master carpenter, you know, I have a good friend who's a master carpenter who's who can frame a house like nobody's business. And when you meet, his name's Jesse. And when you meet Jesse, you are meeting a fucking man. And what I mean by that is this is an accomplished man who's a master at what he does. He's a good provider for his family. He's a great dad. He's worked at the same small construction company with two or three of his closest friends for the bulk of his adult life. And these guys just build houses together and he's outside and he loves working with his hands. And this guy can fucking build anything. And he is very self-actualized. And then I know people who are, you know, zillionaire tech entrepreneurs who are the same way. And I know a bunch of people in between. 
And I know a lot of people, Pat, a lot of men who they never, it never snaps in for them. They never either A, find their place in the world or B, figure out how to make a place for themselves in the world. And and they're just lost. If, so I guess my point is people who, and particularly men who don't achieve this respect and and for themselves, an opinion of themselves, an identity for themselves of a level of success and mastery, they just seem fucked in the head. They're not on solid ground. But I'm curious <laughs> as to your reaction to that. You know, that's a, it's an interesting thing, especially since you said the part about society. You know, it's funny. I had a couple of vodka sodas last night with, a, with an old friend of mine I hadn't seen in a while, and he's recently divorced. Um, like newly divorced after being married like 20 years. And so he's on Bumble and all this stuff, meeting women. And he goes to me, he goes, and, and there's a point to this. I'm not just saying this. This is a reality. He said, yeah, I had sex with three different girls last week. And I said, I said, he, he's like, it's just the craziest thing, this world. And, and I said, well, what's, what is the deal? You know, here you've got, you're 45 years old. You got three kids, you, you know, you're a busy guy. What? He's like, women look, look, you know, they, they look at my profile and then they, you know, they Google, they might've seen I was on a couple podcasts or whatever, Chris Lockett or whatever. And, and, um, my stock price is through the roof just because I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own businesses and stuff like that. And I said, well, let me let me break this down logically. I said, so these women are having sex with you after like buying them a drink or, or two drinks maybe, and they're not actually getting your money and you're never going to, you never, they know that they're never going to see you again. Um, so how is it relevant that you have money? How is it relevant that you have success if they know they're never going to see you again? Does that make sense? Like, it's just not, the logic is not there, right? But they, the logic is they, it's kind of like their stock price will be raised by a one night stand with him. Um, but, but it doesn't, when I, when I, and, and maybe I, I don't, Maybe I'm too technical thinking, but I'm like, hey, dude, this doesn't, why is that? And I think it, it goes to your question. The reason I brought this up, it goes to your question, which is um, what happens to a man uh, when they do something on their own and when they uh, take control of their life? Does that, does it make sense? Yeah. And look, of course, I'm not a woman I'm, and I didn't sleep with your buddy, so, <laughs> but my... <laughs> Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, <laughs> sleep with whoever you like, as long as everybody consents uh, <laughs> and we're, we're over, uh, I guess the legal age is 18. I, I, I think w once you become a certain age, it's probably 30, but, I digress. um, but you know, the interesting thing is about that comment, uh, there's sort of two things that popped to my mind, Pat. One is, you know, some of it's got to be primordial, right? Because, uh, we are attracted to successful people because at some primordial level, if uh, even if this is not in the frontal lobe, sex is about procreation and we want to mix our DNA with successful people if we want to have successful offspring. So look, I'm no fucking doctor or sociologist or psychologist or sexologist or any other <laughs> ologist. All of those. 
But, um, but my guess is there's some primordial thing there. But here's the other one that's probably more important in my mind. So let me bounce this off you. Does it say more about the men that these gals are not sleeping with? And, and here's what I mean. And see if this triangulates with your experience. When I was a younger man, you know, teenager coming up and stuff, um, it felt like meeting girls was hard. And some of us learned to play guitar because if you play guitar, it was easier to meet women. And so it, at the time when you're 18, 19, whatever, 20s, at least for me, it felt like it was a competitive environment to meet gals. And as a guy, you had to do things to separate yourself from the crowd, which I think many of us tried to do. The interesting thing to this exact point, if you're a successful man, Every year you age, you stand out more because we as a society don't make successful men. Said in a different way, there are a lot more successful women than there are men. And I have the data to prove it if you want to dig into it. And so I think maybe what your buddy is experiencing to this point on being respected and being self-actualized as a man is... There are very few or there are less men who are successful, self-actualized, respected, uh, and, and have the confidence that comes with that than there are women. And so I think today, if you're a successful, attractive, uh, self-actualized woman who's doing things in your life, I think it's harder to find a mate today than it was um, you know, at any point, certainly in, in, in our lifetimes. That's my theory. So I'm curious what you think. I think so. And I think that, uh, um, you know, women of a certain age appreciate the things more um, and have a, a, a really good grasp on what they want and how they want to spend their time and with who, because it's limited. You know what I mean? Because they're busy because they got kids and they got you know, jobs and they got, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but, but I, I, but I do believe that there's not a logic you can really, that it's very hard to, to come to like, like, like I tried to get into this with him and he's like, I don't know, you know, it just is, it just is, this is just how it is. I was like, you know, this is just, you know, our society, right? Like, like there's better looking guys and there's, um, you, you know, but they, they're not, they, they don't have the energy of, uh, that an entrepreneur or someone who I guess had the balls to quit their job at some point and start their own business or create their own success through whatever it is, real estate, Bitcoin, what, whatever your fancy is, um, in and of itself, that is that date is worth 10 times what a date of a good looking guy who, you know, has a shit, shitty dead end job that works for somebody else, you know? Yeah. Because frankly, um, if you're an entrepreneur, if you quit and go solo, um, which, you know, solopreneur is entrepreneur, you're maybe not building a multi-person business, but you're building your own business. Um, I think it is attractive. 
because it says you have courage. It says you're a risk taker. It says you're creative. It says you're innovative. And if you achieve a level of success with it, that is to say, uh, you can put food on the family um, and so forth. Um, I think it says something about the resourcefulness of a person. Uh, it doesn't mean that somebody working in a quote unquote regular job can't have similar qualities. Of course they can, but there's a special sort of um, uh, gr- uh, sort of esteem that we grant entrepreneurs, uh, whether they're Elon Musk on one end or a solopreneur who's got a great job that she loves and is doing wonderful things with um, on either spectrum. There is a respect around the courage, the commitment, the creativity, the innovation, um, the work ethic that had to have gone into creating a successful entrepreneur, be it a solopreneur, be it one who's building multi-billion dollar businesses. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Elon Musk has 10 kids. How the fuck does that happen? Right. I mean, clearly, if he wasn't an entrepreneur and he worked, he was an engineer working for you know, Boeing or something, he wouldn't have no fucking 10 kids. Well, and on that dimension, maybe his life would be better for it. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> so, so I have to, I have to, the first conversation I need to have with myself, which is why I love some of the uh, key points in, in, in you and Tim's new book um, is, am I already failing? Right, Because here's the other thing I think most people don't realize. If all we're doing is trading our time for money, and uh, you know, you uh, last time we had a, con- a podcast conversation, you talked a lot about quote-unquote horizontal income, which I like to describe as income that comes in as you're laying down. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that conversation, and I've used that sort of analogy ever since, particularly with younger people. And so there's another part of this for me, which is it's not to say that everybody who's trading time for money is making a mistake. I don't want to be that ridiculous. However, even if you're a high priced lawyer, accountant, advisor, consultant, and you're making $1,000 an hour, $2,500 an hour, $5,000 an hour, or even $10,000 an hour, you're still, still selling your time for money. And when you do that, there is a, a lack of agency that is with that because you don't have this horizontal income. And so I believe one of the things that we're trying to do here is achieve a level of agency and freedom in our lives. And so if I'm somebody, let's say I I read the book and I'm somebody and I have this fucking aha pat that goes, wow, I'm sort of already failing. Even though I'm successful, I'm tied to this job and maybe I have some savings and, and a bit of a nest egg going here. But the reality is, the vast majority of my income is um, what, what's the opposite of horizontal income? Vertical, vertical income. Vertical income, yeah. Trading time for money. And vertical income equals? Equals trading time for money. Getting paid yeah. for, right. Okay, good. So if I'm somebody who has this aha that says, huh, just getting paid time for money, even if I get paid well for that time, I can't break free. I can't have a level of agency. And so tell me how you would want us to think about uh, quitting when I have this aha and building not just a replacement of my income, selling my time, but but maybe selling my time and developing some horizontal income. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, um, I, I I see somebody 
I, there's a lot of there's people out there right that are making killer salaries or killer things but aren't the man right and in in that that's fine you, you always have to have those people um but i just don't see their shoulders kick kicking back like the man's you know what i mean like their boss the guy that owns a company his shoulders kick back more than theirs and i think that they you have to see yourself almost like that you have to envision yourself with your shoulders kicking back like how are you going to feel being the man how are you going to feel uh, what is your stock price going to be for the better if you did run a company and uh, you had someone else work for you like you work for that guy or that gal so you know i i think that the you know my advice for that person is definitely to think about what life would be outside of that and and you know it's not for everybody right i mean i'm not i'm not choosing people's lives for them i mean some people love being the second fiddle and that's that suits them well you know you could you know especially if you're not doing anything like not working right if, if you're not if you don't have to deal with anything and you're getting paid uh, and there's no stress that's one thing but chances are you're you're, you're in a, a high salary job they're expecting a lot from you yeah no doubt and i uh, i'm sure you have friends like this too i have friends who love being the coo type love being the chief of staff type love being the kind of operations uh person and they're very good at it and they can take an entrepreneurial mindset to it but really they're good at operationalizing ideas that were mostly formed not by them the other interesting thing though on this horizontal income side let me share with you some advice i give a lot of people who've gone solo which is okay so typically when you go solo you're selling your time that's what a lot of people end up doing as a consultant or a contractor or something along these lines. And um, what I always share with them is view your trading time for money part of your new job, your new career, as two things, not one. It's not just the way you make money and provide value. It's a lab. And what you do in that lab is you learn shit and you create insights and you create frameworks from working with your clients and customers. And then you convert those insights into new intellectual capital. And you can start a digital business, whether it's podcasting, YouTubing, selling courses, selling books, or all of you know, newsletters, all of the above, where you are essentially monetizing your learnings that come from your lab in a digital way and in, of course, a way that scales. Um, this this podcast, to, to my shock, is downloaded in 198 countries. I didn't even know there was 198 countries. <laughs> you haven't been to that many for sure. <laughs> no, I thought I'd been everywhere like Johnny Cash, but it turns out I have not been everywhere. <laughs> and so, so... And of course, if you can build digital assets, which are being monetized, the interesting thing about digital assets are, A, they could show up anywhere in the world. You know, I had a conversation last week, Pat, with a group of entrepreneurs in Amman, Jordan. And I said, how did you guys find me? And it was a gal and a guy. They'd started this sort of entrepreneur community in Amman, Jordan for younger people. And uh, he said, well, I bought a book on Amazon in Amman, Jordan. 
and Amazon recommended your book to me. Mm. So, and it looked interesting. So I bought it. And so the thing about having digital products that scale around the world is you can reach people in places that you never would have. And of course, here's the other part of it. Your incremental cost is zero, right? Once you create the asset, whether it's a piece of software or a book or a podcast or whatever, a digital asset, your incremental cost for selling a thousand versus one is not much, if any, as it is for a hundred thousand, as it is for a million. And so my point is the journey I myself have been on and it's sort of exploded with the podcast and with Category Pirates is taking uh, intellectual capital that I'm able to build with the people that I work with, sort of codify that in some thinking, in some insights, uh, in some frameworks and package that as digital assets, digital products of one sort or another and then all of a sudden you're selling those digital assets around the world. And in our case with category pirates, you know, we have this like legendary flywheel that's just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And it started with play bigger and, and this podcast and it's expanded out ever since then. And like, ta-da entrepreneurs in Amman, Jordan are, are buying the books. And so that's fun from a make a difference uh, around the world perspective. It allows you to scale much uh, far beyond a one-on-one client relationship. And of course, the other thing is, uh, you know, I've now been at this for six years, Pat, and I woke up one day and realized, holy shit, I've got a massive amount of horizontal or passive income that just rolls in. Um, that if I wanted to stop now, I couldn't, not that why the fuck would you want to stop, but it just goes ching, 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 ching. And so you, I don't check the stats that often anymore, but you can wake up every day and find out how much money you made yesterday, you know, hanging out with your, with your chickens and and going for a walk on the beach. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, here's the thing, right? I think we both know this one thing leads to another. It's the it's the American way, right? You start out eighteen years old as a as the baseball player, and then you know once you're once you get a couple injuries or you you start striking out more, you're thirty years old. You become you know the manager, and then you know you go on and you're forty eight and you're you know you you're co-owner of the team and then you're 60 and you own the fucking team. Right. So it's like, you know, that, that the, the, when, when you make that first step by stopping, not quitting, you're actually making, you know, one step that you are, that is going to lead to several more steps. Uh, and one thing leads to another, you're going to meet people. People are going to, introduce you to opportunities um and it 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 it, it, it just, life just progresses like it did with your books to the podcast to you know uh, to to whatever's next you know what i mean there's there's just, none of it would happen if you don't put yourself out there from the beginning i guess is the point right absolutely you know let me sort of ask you this cuz you've been through a very similar thing i mean incredible career in real estate and i know i know you're very very active there uh mostly as an investor correct you're not you're not yeah yeah busting my, your hump my, like you used no, to my license i don't have a real estate license so i i you know i gave that up i quit that uh but yeah and 
lately I've been selling. We've been selling, just sold a shopping center and just sold a uh, 200 unit apartment complex. So we're starting to take some chips off the table. Congratulations. Which, which sort of leads me to this sort of interesting phenomenon. Uh, and you also, of course, so you shifted from being a realtor to taking that money and investing it to becoming a real estate owner, creating that passive horizontal income we've just been talking about. Now, you also became a podcaster and an author, and you created this incredible GoBundance community with Tim and, and David and so forth. And so you at a, what most people would call, and if this is unfair, Pat, tell me, at roughly middle age, sort of started a whole new set of business activity around podcasting, writing, creating this uh, GoBundance community, and, and I'm sure other things. Um, I had an experience when I did the similar thing of starting at the bottom again. And at the beginning, it was a little weird and frustrating. And I was like, fuck, you know, I went from being the mayor of a very small town <laughs> to being a nobody in a very big town <laughs> and, and being treated as such, you know, I've spent time being treated with respect. And then you show up as a podcaster with no downloads or an author with no book sales. And everybody says, you know, everybody thinks you're a wanker. And, and <laughs> but what I learned, <laughs> but what I learned over time is actually the joy of starting at the bottom, the joy of being a peon again, the learning that comes with it. I actually like the disrespect uh, of it. It, it. it creates a level of, I don't know if humbleness is a word, but it, it forces you to be humble in a, in a fantastic, in some cases, humiliating and painful way. And so I'm curious, you know, as you're a quitter, in some cases, we're starting again in a new thing and it can feel like starting at the bottom again. And I'm curious what your experience of that has been. Um, yeah. So, well, the one thing, first of all, that most quitters do is they don't get involved when they quit. They don't, the next time around, they don't get involved in something they dislike. They're getting involved with something that they love. That's one of the reasons why they're quitting. So it's a little different. It would be, it, it would be like if you quit and you got a worse job or you started a company that you, you hated, that then, yeah, that would suck. But the benefit is all of a sudden you're going from a job you hate to a job that you love, that you've chosen on your own, that you want to do and you m maybe have always done. So it's kind of like it's not work. You know, it's not, it, it doesn't hurt. There's no pain there. It, it's it's a whole nother thing, and that's what happened with GoBundance. Like a like with GoBundance, we we have close. There's close to between the GoBundance women, GoBundance men, and in our little uh, Ascend program, we have close to a thousand paying members right now. And it's it's uh, I never thought that that would happen. It for me, it was it started out me just hanging out. I just like hanging out. I like talking to people. I like uh, uh, getting to know people. And and Tim and David and I were just hanging out. We started inviting other people, as you know. I think you came and spoke when there was like thirty people in the room, and th those people weren't paying. They were just friends, you know. And uh, eventually, uh, it grew to where like, hey, let's charge money for this. And eventually, it came to let's hire some you know, C-suite people to run it for us. And, and boom, it, it, it took off, but that was not, 
really any work at all because we would have went and hung out and and skied and and partied and and uh, talked about money anyways you know what i mean that's like breathing right which is so great and i i do remember that first meeting was it were we in squaw i think, I we think so yeah i think so yeah and 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 i remember how much fun we had and i also remember one of the great things about go abundance and obviously it's been that way since the beginning is sort of just because it's the a group of uh people with such that are so like-minded you know, you mm-hmm. and Tim and David were very clear, and I forget your tagline. What's the tagline? Grab life big. Yeah, but there was something else about uh, successful men who want to oh oh, you oh know, make oh, a lot oh, yeah, of money, yeah, make yeah, a big yeah. difference, and have a fun life. It was something yeah, like yeah, that. Healthy, wealthy, successful men that choose to lead epic lives. There you go. See that? That's an awesome point of view right there. And you're creating a new category of quote unquote community and monetizing that community. But the interesting thing that you just said is GoBundance became a way for the three of you to get paid to be you. Right. And we we recently had Chris Duffin on Follow Your Different. And Chris is uh, the world record holder in thousand pound deadlifts and squats. And he's one of the strongest men on, or at least he was at one point, one of the strongest men on planet Earth. And he's had, he had maybe the most challenging or certainly one of the most challenging childhoods you could possibly imagine. Anyway, interestingly enough, I was riveted by him in our conversation. One of the things he shared, he made this journey. So, so he became an engineer, he became an MBA, he became an ops guy, he became an executive, he became all these things. And today he says to me, today I get paid to be myself. He says, it's the greatest job ever. And I had never quite thought of it in those simplistic words, but it really uh, landed for me. And I thought to myself, it took me a few days to realize this, but I get paid to be me. And I think you get paid to be you. And yeah. I know sure as shit, Tim Road gets paid to be Tim Road. And, and, and so isn't that an incredible part of this? Isn't there a part of this being a quitter and creating your own thing going forward? isn't part of this sort of the, the radical self-expression and you can have an experience of whatever it is you're doing that it, it's so um, important to you and it's so much a part of the contribution you want to make and the way you want to w- make money. Cause I believe the way you make money is as important as making money. If those things feel like an expression of self, i.e. you're getting paid to be yourself uh, it just occurred to me like wow that that might be the greatest achievement in one's professional life it's funny isn't it it's kind of funny when you sit back and think about it that we would make so much money by being ourselves it does it's like it's like how is that even how does that even work you know what i mean like it's 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 just fascinating uh and we're so lucky and i've always admired like you know, you look at these old pictures, and I know you you, you you can appreciate this. You see these pictures of Jimi Hendrix, or 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 the Beatles, or the Rolling Stones, or or whoever, and they're they're wearing like the most craziest clothes you've ever seen in your life, coming out of like a Ritz Carlton on their way to getting in the limousine, and they're just wearing this thing that's like 
how in the world could this person be so confident in themselves that they would wear such an ugly, crazy looking outfit? And I've always admired that, 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 that they are just so liberated, like their minds are just so liberated. They don't, they're just going to be themselves that day and put on this thing. And I, I think like as entrepreneurs, the, and the, the older we get and the more successful we get, you get more and more confident in being yourself and you become more and more authentic. And then people gravitate towards that and it, it, it just blossoms. And then you make more money uh, the more you're authentic. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's kind of like your show and, and the cussing or whatever. I saw you, I know you have these hilarious ads that say like, this asshole cusses too much or whatever, but <laughs> you probably found that the more you cuss, the more downloads that you got and cussing is just something you've always done. So it's an ultimate authenticity, you know, yes. it's the same thing with life. It, it's, it's so fascinating that way. And there's another piece to this. Uh, on one hand, I see a lot of legendary native digitals doing this like a lot. And it's really, really exciting. Uh, one of them that I'm um, doing my best to uh, to support is a gal named Hannah Grady Williams. And Hannah has been on the podcast. She's written a book about how to uh, um, you know build your company so that it's attractive to Gen Z. She's like 23 or 24 years old, Pat, and she she has created a category for herself. She calls herself the Gen Z CEO advisor and she's now creating, so she, and she does consulting and speaking and writing like the sort of the normal analog guru type shit, but she's also building digital products and creating a, 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 a place online, a community online and all of this stuff around sort of um, how native analogs can thrive with native digitals in business and uh, she's doing an ex extraordinary things. So on one hand, there's a tremendous amount of creativity that younger people, native analogs can bring, or native digitals can bring. You, we see a lot of 15-year-olds starting businesses. There's a rapper whose name's escaping me right now, who has a $20 million a year business, selling his own music direct online, never been signed by a record label. Um, so there's all this radical innovation um, coming from native digitals that I find very exciting. A lot of the native analogs that I talk to, more your vintage and mine, they're intimidated by a lot of this. And so uh, do you see sort of native digitals being more uh, prone to this and native analogs being less? Or how does that, how does sort of the age and the more, more important than the age, the mindset and, and experience around the technology play into this? I mean, that's a great question. And I guess the jury will will come out, but it sure seems like with Shark Tank and these shows, right, that 10 years ago or 20 years ago didn't exist. So you, the inspiration for being authentic and the inspiration for coming up with your own ingenuity didn't exist, right? Um, it was quite typical for people to grow up in families where, you know, granddad was a cop and dad was a cop and I'm a cop. You know what I mean? It just whatever. You didn't have much choice. And suddenly these shows come on and now you have TikTok and Instagram and all that. And 
you know, you could see other people being using their ingenuity and making tons of money, it would make sense that we would develop a world of entrepreneurs. But what scares me about that is you got to be tough, right? It's not easy, you know, especially when you're younger. I mean, I, 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 you know, when I first got into real estate, I got my teeth bashed in. You know what I mean? I, I, I had sleepless nights. I had, you know, I, I, I cried like it was like, it was not easy. And I, and I see a lot of kids growing up and this is a cliche, but they're powder puffs or whatever, right? They don't, they're not tough. They don't, you know, they get some rejection and they don't know what to do with that. And uh, so there's a whole side beyond just being able to come up with a good idea. And that side is, you know, stick and stick to itness and and tough skin. Does that make sense? I, I, absolutely. It, it you know it's such a fucking cliche, but it always unless you get hit by lightning, which is great. Um, but it it always takes so much fucking longer than than you think. Now, l- let me bounce this off you for people who are not native digital's. I had this aha quote a while ago which is at a high level, Star Wars can teach us the three critical stages in one's career. The first stage, if you get identified as a high potential up and comer, you get identified as what you might think of as a Lucy or a Luke Skywalker. And if you sort of are impressive and start producing results, the world starts treating you like a young Jedi, right? Now, when I was this young Jedi, I thought the reward for mastery as a Jedi was that you got to win the game called being a Jedi. And and every success book ever is about how to, quote, make it. And as somebody who grew up poor with nothing and so forth, the question in my life is, is Christopher going to make it? And so there was a lot of figuring out how to make it in my young Jedi phase. What I didn't realize, Pat, is the true reward for being successful as a Jedi is you get to be Obi-Wan. That's the real reward. And what I've now realized, because I'm, you know, into my Obi-Wan stage is if I'm, if I'm successful in making a difference for others as Obi-Wan, I get to be Yoda. And I, I, I really, really want to be Yoda. And so I'm leading to something here, which is if you're a person of a certain age and you succeeded as Lucy Skywalker, the second phase of being Obi-Wan, or if you're a successful Obi-Wan, and you now want to break out as an independent Yoda, you know, my therapist, Phil, is a fucking Yoda. And so I guess my point is, having shared this kind of framework with some people, what they begin to realize is, if you are in the Obi-Wan stage, one of the greatest ways to contribute as well as monetize yourself is to market and package yourself with intellectual capital uh, as an Obi-Wan in your field. Mm. And as somebody who has this experience, I really appreciate what the, the young Jedi that I was did because I fucking love being the Obi-Wan that I get to be. And while you can certainly be an Obi-Wan inside a company, absolutely. For me personally, 
the Obi-Wan phase, it's much more fun to be independent and having all these projects and doing all these different things. Anyway, I share that with you to just bounce all of it off you and get your reaction. You wonder if you never quit, if you reach that stage. You know, I had dinner with a guy uh, that ran a pretty large real estate brokerage and um, he texted one of his agents that he was meeting me for dinner. And the guy texted back, The young, it was a young kid in his 20s. He's like, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. He's real estate OG legit. <laughs> and I was right, like, you're Obi-Wan. <laughs> he, read, he read it to me and I said, real estate OG legit. I was like, I have, that is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. I was like, I've never been called that. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess so. But the thing is, right, if I, I you know, that's a good thing. Um, it made me feel, um, at first it made me feel like, oh shit, like, like I'm a has been, like I, like I, I don't have it anymore. Right. Like I don't have the jam, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, no, that's a great thing. Like you want to, I want to be real estate OG legit. Like you, you don't, you, you know, that's a good thing. And you want to be that way as a, as a patriarch, uh, in a family, in your family, you want to be that in, in whatever business you, you take on whatever endeavors you take on, you eventually want to be the OG legit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You're reminding me of something. So uh, I've made many incredible friends through podcasting, as I'm sure you have. And one of them is an entrepreneur, um, served our country proudly and honorably as a, uh, as a naval officer. Tom, his name's Tom Schwab. And he's the founder of an outfit called uh, Interview Valet. And he is the category king of what's called podcast interview marketing. He gets you booked on podcasts and then he teaches you how to market yourself on those podcasts so that it actually contributes to your business. As opposed to what most sort of PR firms do, which is they get you booked on podcasts, but they don't sort of teach you how to convert any of that into good things in your business. Anyway... So uh, this has been, you know, Tom saw saw this early, was very visionary, um, uh, and, and he's gotten on it. And so uh, one of the things that he says that's so fascinating and it's so true and it just rings truer and truer in my head is what you take for granted as a piece of knowledge or a piece of experience or even a piece of intellectual capital that you developed as being obvious and being maybe not as valuable is gold to many. And so what he's trained me in is that there's a lot of things that the Obi-Wans and the Yodas of the world take for granted in their skill set that can make a difference for others if they were willing to share it. And if they're trying to build a business around it, you can create your own intellectual capital around that and, and monetize your Obi-Wan or Yoda-ness. Uh, and so I just find it interesting that Tom's just statement gets writer and writer to me. Yeah, we um we use Tom for uh, Tribe of Millionaires when we published Tribe of Millionaires, uh, and and did the podcast circuit. So yeah, it's it's just uh, I, I you know it just you know what what this conversation is making me is is uh, grateful, just you know grateful that we you and I are just lucky enough to have number one made it to be OG legit Obi-Wan Kenobi's 
but also that we are able to do that by, you know, being ourselves, by being authentic, by uh, playing by our own rules. And the aha here is those two things are not an accident. Because I don't know about you, but when I first started my career, when I first got my first jobs, I was acting at being an executive. And even when I started my first company, I was acting at being an entrepreneur. I was doing what I thought an entrepreneur should do. And it was only after I stopped acting that things really started to click. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, right? And is acting simply doing something that's not authentic, that's not naturally you? Like, like I've had businesses, I've three or four, after I got out of real estate sales, I kind of went through a phase of three or four years where I kept trying things um, that didn't work, um, you know, just starting businesses. And what I found in these businesses is, number one, it was really hard to make money. And I, I enjoy money. And, and if I can't make money doing it, there's other hobbies that I would rather be doing than, than, than working for a hobby that doesn't pay me. But if the hobby pays you, it, it makes it to me, at least it might be controversial, it makes it to me, at least a hell of a lot funner hobby. So anyway, so I had a lot of things, three or four things that basically, are just cool looking logos that that are hanging on my wall now that that never manifested into money and and used up a hundred grand or so of my money each one and uh, but it took a while and then you, you know what took off obviously was GoBundance or what took off was like our our apartment deals but it was just kind of natural like they kind of flowed and and they took a life of their own so to speak you know. Yeah, it sort of throws a little bit of cold water in the face of, you know, the, the sort of uh, hard thing about hard things, you know, the sort of painful get up and rise and grind. And I'm not saying there isn't hard work. There is hard work, of course. But uh, to your point, and um, when you get to this place, you know, category pirates for me, it's not grind. This pod, this is not a grind. This podcast, it's far from it. It's actually fucking joy, and and working with the CEOs and, and executive teams I work with is not a grind. It's a joy, and and so um, there is an interesting flip there. It doesn't feel. I know it's a cliche, but it doesn't feel like hard work when you're being yourself, adding the value that you're supposed to v- add, and uh, being compensated for it and being to your point where we talked at the beginning about being recognized as somebody of of high value in your chosen field. When all those things come together, I mean, nothing I fucking do today feels like work. Nothing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, again, it's just, we're just so lucky, you know what I mean? That we could, that we could have, and I don't even want to call them jobs, right? That we can have careers, I guess, or, or, or call them hobbies that pay. That's really what they are, right? They're hobbies that pay. Yeah. Well, and I've tried to, quote, retire from this shit a million times. I can't. <laughs> and what I've learned is, you know, it's around category design and helping people create different futures and building legendary new companies and category. You know, all of that shit, that shit owns me. I don't own it. It's, it's, it's not just who I am. I know this sounds insane. It's a fucking calling. 
and I've tried to quit it a whole bunch of times. That I can't quit doing. The way I do it um, has changed dramatically. And so I guess the point is, if you are called to do something that adds value to others that you enjoy, and therefore you're getting paid to be yourself, uh, why the fuck would you ever quit that? (laughs) You know, Betty White never quit acting. I want to be Betty White. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. That you, you know, if you're called to do something that you enjoy doing that serves others and on top of it, you get paid for it. Why would you quit? Right? Like, well, what else are you going to do? Lay in a hammock? I mean, hammocks are nice. I have one. I take a nap in it every once in a while, but you can't sit in a fucking hammock 24 seven. I've tried. And, you know, as, as, as Elon Musk says, beaches are boring. I mean, I love beaches. I live right near one. I mean, it's two fucking blocks. I can hear the ocean. It's, it, it, but I could go sit on that fucking beach all day, every day. I'm the same you know, way. I live fucking I live, a. I live three houses from the beach. And at the only time I go to the beach is when I have guests in town and they want to go to the beach and sit there. And then I'm like... Well, the, the only way I'm going to go there and sit there is if you bring like a bocce ball set and, and some drinks and, and uh, you know, make it a party because I can't, I'm not going to sit there and read People Magazine. Right. <laughs> now, uh, clearly, Pat, you and I could talk about life and business and quitting for a very long time, but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, are, are there any other points that you want to make? Is there anything else on your mind before we wrap? No, I would say, um, you know, we'd love it if, if people would, would uh, you know, buy a copy of the book, obviously, and let us know what you think. Uh, uh, you know, you could get it direct from uh, Bigger Pockets at biggerpockets.com black backslash quitters manifesto. That's biggerpockets.com backslash quitters manifesto. Um, and, uh, y- you know, it's uh, I-, I think we're going to help a lot of people. And uh, I think that. Uh, everyone's going to like it. So we'll see. Well, thanks for writing your book. You know how much I love you and Tim Road. (laughs) And I love that you guys keep making the contribution you were called to make. And I think you have a very sexy hairdo. (laughs) Thank you, sir. I always enjoy my time with you. You're a great conversationalist. Thanks, brother. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. And please Give Timmy a big kiss on the mouth for me. <laughs> you got him. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. Well, there he is. My buddy, the legendary Pat Hyben. The new book is out. It's awesome. Pick up your copy. It's called The Quitter's Manifesto. Quit a job you hate for the work you love. All right. We would like to thank, of course, you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. All of us here at Follow Your Different deeply appreciate it. Don't forget to check out OneLifeFullyLived.org. That's the number OneLifeFullyLived.org. The nonprofit helping people dream, plan, and live their best life. And if you want to make a difference in our world right now, uh, crack open your checkbook and uh, support One Life Fully Lived. Our friends at Bottleneck.online are the world's first dedicated distant assistant. Check out Bottleneck.online for an assistant who's dedicated to helping you, who's empowered with technology, but is never going to get anywhere near you. My friends at Shakeology have created the world's first dessert shake. And I'll tell you, I've become addicted to this stuff. If you love dessert and you want to eat healthy, Shakeology is the way to go. Check out Shakeology.com and check out the world's first superfood dessert 
And I like my Shakeology with my Malibu milk. Malibu milk is the whole plant flax milk. And it's the first milk ever designed by a woman and a mother for that matter. Malibu milk with a Y.com. All right. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And we would love you just a little bit extra if you shared the shit out of it. This oddcast contains content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking. All rights do remain perturbed. We are edited and produced by the aforementioned legendary Jason DeFilippo. Check out Boot Up with Jason and subscribe today for all your tech news in 10 minutes. The little dash of snark. Uh, Jamie J and Sarah Knox do legendary technical execution around here, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers, EX, and RJ do our web development. And Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weedon Jack, and our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. Don't forget that uh, Chris Stapleton was right. Listen to Social Distortion. And remember, quitting something shitty is the first step to starting something legendary. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Eric Schoenberg, CEO of Stink, I mean Inc. Magazine. Sorry, Eric. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.